family. Folks, be finding your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, please. We're going to look at several more verses in Ephesians 6 today. We're going to look at it again next week to wind up this series. Now, I want to uh, make a few comments. We'll start reading verse 13 in just a moment. But I want you to understand something. The war is raging. A spiritual war is going on all around us every day. And I want to tell you something. The enemy, now if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're headed to heaven and you're following Jesus. I want you to know something. Your enemy, he wants to be as miserable as possible on this journey called life. And he also wants to keep you from being productive for the kingdom of God. He wants you to be down with discouragement or depression or feel defeated in life. And he's going to do everything he can to see that that happens. And now secondly, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never received that gift of grace that God offers. You've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you're on that road to hell. I want you to listen to me. Satan's going to do everything he can to keep you on that road. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from drawing near to Jesus Christ and from abandoning the road of destruction and getting on the road to eternity. Getting on the road to glory. So because of that, I'm going to preach once again today on spiritual warfare. Now, I started this series two weeks ago. I believe the, the message that I preached was on battle preparation. Well, today I want to talk about battle attire. Now, I know you've heard this passage before, but let's start reading verse 13. Ephesians 6, verse 13. <clears throat> and I'll be reading out of the uh, NASB this morning. It says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so you'll be able to stand, uh, able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Father, today I pray we have no distractions. I pray we're focused on what Your Word says. I pray for those that are believers, that are Your children, they would understand the seriousness of this war, and they would understand it's time for Christians to get onto the battlefield. And then I pray for those here that don't know You, they've never established that relationship with You through Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. That, Father, they would uh, put their pride aside. They would give up on, on trying to earn and be good enough because none of us are good enough. And they would simply receive by faith the gift of grace that you offer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, Marcia and I were on vacation in New England. We flew into Logan International Airport there in Boston and, and rented a car. And I made Marcia drive because I'd have killed somebody trying to drive through Boston. But anyway, we were driving around Boston, and I began to think about all the history in that town. I mean, there is a lot of history in that town. All the historical places you could go and things you could see, like uh, the USS Constitution, the old Ironsides. Uh, there's Harvard, the campus of Harvard University. Uh, then there's the old North Church. Now, when I say the old North Church, if you're a history buff like me, what comes to your mind? There you go. In 1775, it was the 8th or 18th of 1775, uh, a guy by the name of Paul Revere left an eternal bark on history with one single solitary horse ride. 
You see, Paul Revere knew that battle was coming. He knew war was on the horizon, and he didn't want his countrymen to be taken by surprise. He knew it was coming. He just didn't know how the enemy was going to come. Well, on a moonlit night in the year 1775, again, I think it was the month of April, he saw the lantern in the old North Church, and he realized the enemy was on the way. So he got aboard his horse, saddled his horse, got aboard, and he rode from village to village to sound out the alarm. And he cried out and said, To arms, to arms, the British are coming. Well, I'm issuing another battle cry and have been for quite a few years now, folks. And it's to awaken God's children to the fact that there's a war going on. Your enemy's on the march. Now, Christian, I'm calling you to arms, not because the British are coming, but because the devil's already here. You know, years, it's interesting to me that the Bible in the book of Genesis refers to the devil as a serpent. You know, it's interesting. About 20 years ago, the New England Journal of Medicine, they published an article about people being snake bit. And it was about people being bit by dead snakes. It seemed, now this, this study took place in Phoenix, Arizona, a good Samaritan hospital. Toxicologists studied for a year people who had been bitten by what they thought were dead snakes. And they said it was an interesting phenomenon. They actually called it the dead snake bite phenomenon. They discovered 15% of people admitted by, uh, into the hospital from snake bites were bitten by a dead snake. Doctors got involved with this when one guy came in with a rattlesnake bite and he was working in his garden. He saw a rattlesnake. He took a shovel, cut the head off the snake, reached down to pick the head up to throw it away, and it bit him. And so they began to study this. And, and what's surprisingly, the doctor said, we were so surprised. There are so many people, so much a high percentage of people bitten by decapitated snakes. He said, we're also surprised people didn't know that dead snakes bite. Now, the reason for this, snakes have, and a lot of reptiles do, have what's called a reflex action that continues even after being killed. So a decapitated snake can still bite you up to an hour after having its head cut off. You say, preacher, what's I got to do with what you're talking about? Well, I told you all that to say this. Christian, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, He dealt a fatal blow to Satan. In essence, He decapitated Satan and put him out of business. But Satan is still dangerous, and we have to ever be on our guard against him. Now, just as Satan is a special enemy, he requires special weapons. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, Satan does not fear bombs. He don't fear bullets. He don't fear your positive thinking. Or he don't even fear your expressive words of faith. The only thing that he fears are supernatural weapons that are found in the armor of Almighty God. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at Paul tells us what our battle attire is supposed to be. He tells us what we should wear to war every day. And you're going to notice there's six pieces of equipment that make up this armor. Now, the first five are for our defense against Satan. The sixth one is so that we might go on the offense and defeat Satan. Now understand, Satan's on the attack because look at verse 16. Paul says, Beware of the, the fiery darts of the wicked one or the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan has a quiver full of flaming arrows. And he is going to, <coughs> to hurl those, to launch those at us every day from every conceivable angle. 
Now, the good news is none of these things can reach us. None of these arrows can hit us as long as we have on the full armor of God. Because each piece of God's armor that He supplies to us is specifically designed to ward off any particular arrow that Satan might launch against us. Look at verse 14, the first part of verse 14. Let's talk about these pieces of armor, this battle attire. He tells us, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So the first piece of equipment, the first piece of armor that we see is the belt of truth. To me, this is for the arrow of deception. Now, the reason I believe this piece of armor is listed first is because to a Roman soldier, this piece of equipment was critical. And the reason was, and they called it a girdle back in that day, but actually we'd call it a belt. It went around his waist and the rest of the armor was attached or affixed to this belt. Now the belt of truth, and I'm going to be very clear on this, it represents the Word of God. The Word of God is represented actually twice in these, this armor. The Word of truth represents the Word of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he refers to Scripture as the Word of truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Your Word is truth. Now, this instance, folks, in this instance, God's Word is a defensive weapon. It's to be used to ward off that arrow of deception. Now, Jesus said something interesting about the devil one time. In John eight forty four, he said, The devil is a liar and the father of it. Now, I've told you this before. I think I said it two weeks ago. Satan is a master deceiver. He is the master of deception. It was his deception of Eve that doomed the human race in the Garden of Eden. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, the same devil, the same devil that could deceive Eve in the Garden of Eden is the same devil, friend, that can deceive you right now today. You see, Satan's still a master deceiver. He still has the same old lies, the same old deceptions. Just over the years, he's just repackaged them. He just put them in brighter colored paper so we'd be more attracted to them nowadays. We're warned, and you know these passages. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says, In latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do you realize, folks, there are demonic doctrines just like there are divine doctrines? And I want to assure you something, Christian. If you're not anchored to God securely by His belt of truth, you're going to be tossed to and fro, and as Paul says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. We're living in a day and age where you better be able to recognize false doctrine. Do you know there are so many people are Christians and profess to be Christians and they've fallen into the clutches of demonic doctrines uh, because they couldn't recognize false doctrine? We're going over that on Sunday nights. Why do you think the Word of Faith movement is so popular today? Because it's a deceiving doctrine of demons. Say, preacher, why would you say that about other godly folks? I didn't say they're godly. I've heard people ask me that. No, I'm not saying they're godly. And I'm not even saying those boys preaching that nonsense are preachers. They're not. Let me read you another passage you're familiar with. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That means healthy, wholesome truth is what it means. Will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Instead of healthy doctrine, 
people embracing unhealthy doctrine. Why? Because it tells them what they want to hear instead of the truth, what God says we should hear. I remind a Sunday school teacher, asked one of her little boys in the classroom, she said, can somebody, or she asked her class, said, can somebody tell me what is false doctrine? One little boy raised his hand. She said, what is it? He said, well, false doctrine is when you're sick and the doctor gives you the wrong stuff and it kills you. Well, let me tell you something. There's a grain of truth to that because false doctrine will kill you. It will destroy your life and the life of your family. You'd better pull on the belt of truth every day because just as surely as you leave that belt off, you're going to be caught with your pants down and that's the moment Satan's going to sneak out behind you and kick you where it hurts the most. This book, folks, it's truth. This book is not God's Word because it's true. It's true because it is God's Word. You need to understand something. God does not say something because it's true. It's true simply because God says it's true. No matter what you hear from any pulpit or professor or any preacher, it does not, if it doesn't line up with the Word of truth, with God's Word, then it is not truth, period. The reason why the devil hates the Word of God so much is because of that very fact. It's the Word of truth. One Bible scholar, he made this observation very well, I thought. I want you to listen to this. He said, Satan doesn't waste his ammunition. Professors who are being paid to teach philosophy, English, biology, mathematics, they often take time from their class periods to undermine the Bible and Orthodox Christianity. Why are they not doing the same thing with the sacred books of other religions like he's... Islam is what he referenced. The answer is simple. Satan is the original liar. He is sympathetic with books that lie. His real enmity is directed against the book of truth because it contains the dynamite for his defeat. Listen to me, believer. Every day, you need to put on the belt of truth, which is the Word of God. Now, I want you to see the second piece of armor. Look at verse 14 again. It says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I believe the breastplate of righteousness, that's for the arrow of disapproval. The breastplate back in, in uh, 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 New Testament time, a Roman soldier would wear, it would be a, a, a sleeveless piece of armor that would cover the torso of the soldier's body. And it was there to protect the most vital organ of the body, which, of course, is the heart. Now, your heart is the real battlefield in this war. In the Bible, your heart represents the will, the emotions, the mind. It's, it's the essence of who and what you are. And, and this is how important your heart is. Your heart will determine uh, your eternal destiny. You realize that? Paul said, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you should be saved. So listen to me, friend. How you think, how you act, the person you are, the person you're going to become, it's always determined in your heart. That's why in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The heart of Satan's attack is the attack of the heart. What Satan's going to do, he'll come to your heart and he will tempt you to try to get you to sin. And if you do sin, the moment you sin, he'll condemn you at that point. Satan's the accuser. He loves to bring up our past. He loves to dig up all that old dirt from the past and to throw it into our face. He loves to shake those skeletons that we all have in our closets from the past life. And he is relentless. And what Satan is hoping to do is cause you, Christian, to become a doubting Christian. Because if you're a doubting Christian, then very soon you'll be a depressed, discouraged Christian. And then you'll be a defeated Christian. And you'll be no good for the kingdom of Christ. 
That's why it's so important you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because when you do, then you can distinguish between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusations of the devil. Let me explain. The Holy Spirit will use Scripture to convict us. But Satan, he will use feelings to condemn us. When the Spirit convicts us, it's to draw us closer to God. Now, when, when Satan condemns us, it's to cause us to, to go away from God, to drive us farther from God. Spiritual conviction always going to lead to confession and correction, but satanic accusation, that's going to lead to depression and discouragement. Now listen close, Christian, because a lot of Christians are living a defeated life right now and they do not understand why. And the next, this right here, the next few points, it'll explain why you're living a defeated life. You see, the Spirit will convict you of sins unconfessed so you can repent and you can get right with God. But Satan, he will accuse you of sins already confessed so you won't feel right with God. You understand feeling? Talk more about that in just a few minutes. Now, when this happens, and it happens to all of us, we have to take up the breastplate, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, let me tell you what that means. In the Bible, it speaks of righteousness. It refers sometimes to positional righteousness, and it refers sometimes to practical righteousness. Let me explain. The difference is, when God saves you, He declares you righteous once and for all in Jesus Christ. That's your position. That's positional righteousness. That cannot change. That will never change. When you're saved, you're saved. You're in Christ. But also, the Bible talks about the righteousness that God wants us to manifest in our daily lives. Holy living, righteous living, being obedient to God's Word. We call that sanctification. The first positional righteousness we call justification. Practical righteousness, growing in Christ, we call that sanctification. And understand, Christian, we need both these kinds of righteousness in order to ward off the arrows of the devil. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that the righteousness, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So let me tell you what you do, Christian. The next time Satan comes at you with the arrow of condemnation, tries to give you that spirit of disapproval, and, and tries to get you to think you're not right with God, you need to make sure you have on the breastplate of righteousness. And let me tell you what you do. You simply remember what I just read to you. According to God's Word, if you're a child of God, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ, and there's nothing ever going to change that. And you know what? When you remember that, you know what you've done? You have put on that breastplate of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you something. That arrow of disapproval and condemnation that Satan's going to fire at you, it will shatter against the breastplate of God's righteousness that you have over your heart. Look at the third piece of armor. Look at verse 15. The gospel of peace. Now, this is for the, the arrow, and I can think of a better, another word, dissension. And I'll explain in just a minute. Look at verse 15. We're told, shod our feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. One of the most important pieces of equipment that a soldier has is his boots, his footwear. Because he needs to be able to stand if he's going to fight. He needs to be able to march. Well, he can't do that if he doesn't have the right footwear. And Roman soldiers back in New Testament times, uh, and this is debatable, some say they wore boots, I think they were called uh, embromides, and they had a, a cat head. On the top of it. I believe this is for officers. Other guys wore leather bound boots. But they had open toe to them. But they were heavy leather. And each one of these boots would have hobnails. Or pieces of metal attached to the bottom of it. Why? So they have good traction. 
So if they had to fight, you know, in, in a, a wet field somewhere, or maybe they had to, uh, you know, fight on a slippery cliff, it's extremely important for a soldier to keep his feet under him because it's kind of hard to fight when you fly to your back. That's why, folks, we're told we must have our feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, let me explain this. This peace is the peace that comes from believing the gospel and knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's true peace. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about it. If you're at peace with God, that means you're at war with the devil. Now, you're starting to see and understand why spiritual warfare is so different than natural warfare. You see, in the natural world, when you avoid war, you have peace. But in the supernatural realm, folks, if you're going to have peace, you have to make war. And when, the only way you can have peace with God, you have to get on God's side. And that means you're going to make war. You're going to declare war with the devil. And Christian, you need to know this if you don't know it. When you declare war on the devil, he's going to declare war on you. That's why you better have on good boots. You need to have those, those boots on, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because through this life, going through this life, you're going to walk through some thorns of temptation. You're going to march through some uh, thistles of tribulation. You're going to step on landmines of lust. You're going to have to climb mountains of misery. But if you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you can crush every thorn. You can climb every mountain. I want you to look at that word preparation. That literally means to always be ready. Always be ready. Listen to me, friend. When you're at peace with God and you have the peace of God in your heart, you're always ready to handle anything the devil throws against you. I've said this before. I want to say it again. It's not what happens in your life that's important. It's how you react to what happens in your life that matters to God. If you're at peace with God, that means there's no dissension. Between you and God. There's no conflict with you and God. If you're at peace with God, you can withstand any storm that comes your way. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 26.3 that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. There's a fourth piece of equipment. Look at verse 16. We're told to take the shield of faith. And with the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench or to extinguish all the fiery darts or arrows of the devil. Now, I believe the shield of faith, that's for the arrows of doubt. The shield of faith is a defensive instrument. Actually, again, Roman soldiers in New Testament times, there were three type shields. But the common soldier, the one that he used, the foot soldier, the one that did the battling, what he used was a shield that was wrapped in leather and sewn with rawhide. And then before each battle, he would make sure and dunk that shield in the water until it was waterlogged. Say, so why would you do that? Because one thing that they figured out worked well in battles back in those days was fire. And a lot of times enemy soldiers would take their arrow tips and they would wrap cloth around it, dip it in pitch, set it on fire, and shoot at the front lines. So this shield that the Roman soldier carried, it not only deflected those arrows, but it quenched the fire. It put out those arrows. Now I believe this shield that Paul's talking about, is to ward off, again, the arrows of doubt. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, that just goes to reason then. If faith is what pleases God, then doubt is what pleases the devil. And the devil loves nothing more than to get God's people to doubt. 
to doubt God's Word, to doubt God's will that's been revealed in God's Word, and to doubt God's works. Let me say something right here. Don't throw stones at me. I want you to stay with me on this, all right? There's nothing sinful about doubt. Say, oh, preacher, I can't believe you say that. I, I know some people think it's a sin if you doubt. Friend, listen to me. Faith presupposes doubt. If there's no room for doubt, then there's no room for faith. Don't ever be ashamed if you had doubts in your heart. And I'm going to be honest with you. Even as a preacher for 30 years, I've had doubts. You say, you ever doubt your salvation? Absolutely. Oh, I can't believe you admit that. Well, I know some Christians who claim they never doubted their salvation. I don't understand that. I don't. D.L. Moody one time, a lady come to him after he preached a pretty hard message on salvation. She came and said, I want you to know, uh, Preacher Moody, I've been a Christian 25 years and I've never had one single doubt. You know what Moody said to her? Madam, I doubt you've been saved. See, he's saying, I've never had any doubts. That's like a guy saying, you know, I've been married for 50 years and my wife and I, we've never once had a disagreement. Well, I doubt he's ever been married then. <laughs> Listen to me, folks. Doubt in and of itself, doubt is not sin. It's what you do with your doubt that determines whether or not it becomes sin. You following me? Do you know what doubt is? Christian, think about it this way. Doubt's an opportunity to strengthen your faith. And the way you do that is you starve your doubt and feed your faith. And you say, how do I feed my faith? By the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When doubt comes your way, Christy, you just need to simply say and be determined in your heart, I'm going to take God at His Word. I'm going to live according to God's truth no matter what. Now, here's what's wrong with a lot of Christians today. Why they're living defeated lives. Instead of taking up the shield of faith, they take up the shield of feelings. Now, the shield of feelings, that's okay if you feel good. But the moment you start feeling bad, that shield of feelings is going to disintegrate right before your eyes. The only shield that will ward off the arrows of doubt is the shield of faith. Now, the next time the devil tries to bring doubt to your heart, you just be determined. You say to yourself, come what may, regardless of the circumstances, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to live according to God's Word. And you realize what you've just done when you have that attitude? Friend, you have just put up a shield of faith that Satan cannot penetrate. And the Bible tells us in 1 John, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I want you to see the next piece of Armor. It's the helmet of salvation. Look at verse 17. Now this is for the arrow of discouragement, I think. It says, now we're told, take the helmet of salvation. Just as the breastplate protects your heart, the helmet, of course, protects your head. Because what are the two primary targets that an enemy's after? Either your heart or your head. And Satan, if he can't get to your heart, he'll get into your head and he'll try to play mind games with you. He'll either try to make you think you're lost or he'll try to convince you that you can lose your salvation. You're a Christian. You're seeing Satan whispering in your ear. See, I told you, you're no longer a Christian. You might have been, but you're not now. If you was a Christian, you wouldn't sin. You lost your salvation. I know there are a lot of denominations and a lot of churches that teach that. That's garbage. That's not what God's Word says. Now, if my salvation was based on me, yeah, I'd be concerned every single minute of every day that I would lose my salvation. But my salvation is not based on me, on works, or being baptized, or anything I do. My salvation is based in the grace of God, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. 
There's not a more discouraged and miserable person in the world than a Christian who believes they've lost their salvation. When that happens to you, you need to put the helmet of salvation on. Now, say, preacher, explain the helmet of salvation. Well, first of all, I want you to listen to me. First of all, it's the knowledge that you are saved. Secondly, it's the confidence that you can never lose that salvation. Do you know the Bible teaches two things about salvation? It teaches, number one, first of all, you can be sure of it. Number two, you can be secure in it. Aren't you thankful for that, Christian? Listen, the next time the devil tries to get you to doubt whether or not you've been saved, let me give you a piece of advice. Do not look back to a past experience or a past event. Do not look back to how you once felt. Or, you know, this, uh, oh, but I remember that feeling so well. Mm. Don't pull out your baptismal certificate. Don't pull out your church membership. Instead, you pull out the Word of God. Let me give you a verse. Write this down somewhere in your Bible. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus speaking. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Now, did you see how that's written in the past? It's done. Jesus said it's done. You know, in that verse, Jesus tells us two things. I'm going to repeat them. I said them a while ago. You can be sure of your salvation. You can be secure in that salvation. Friend, you can be sure you have everlasting life, and you can be sure that you're never going to come into judgment. I remember the story of a little boy about eight, nine years old. He'd walked down the block to a revival meeting that was having a church down the street. And that revival meeting, the preacher preached on this verse. Well, that little boy felt the Holy Spirit convict his heart. He had time of invitation. He walked down. He told the preacher, he said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And he accepted Jesus Christ. The preacher talked with him a little bit and gave him a Bible. And afterwards, that little boy on his way home, he felt like the devil was sitting on his shoulder. Said it's like he's whispering in his ear, you're never going to be good enough. You're not saved. Why would God want somebody like you? You're not good enough. You're not strong enough to stay saved. You're never going to make it to heaven. And this little boy dealt with this all the way home. He got home. He sat down on the couch. Had tears in his eyes. I mean, he was in torments. And little boy actually, uh, in his words, that when he was an older man, he said, it was like the devil was under the couch whispering to me. Oh, you're not saved. You're not saved. And little boy said, what was that verse that the preacher preached on? And he remembered John 5, 24. He took that Bible out the preacher had given him. He fumbled through it and he finally come to John chapter 5. He found verse 24 and he began to read it to himself. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word. He said, well... I've heard his word. And then he reads on. And believes in him who sent me. He said, well, I believe that. Says, has everlasting life. Well, that means I got it. And shall not come into judgment. He says, and I'll never lose my salvation. And that little boy come to terms with it. He said, I have everlasting life. I cannot lose it. Why? Because Jesus Christ said so. And then he shut his Bible. And with a big smile on his face, he slid that Bible on the couch. And he said, that is, devil, read it for yourself. Folks, that's taking up the helmet of salvation. The final weapon. I want you to look at verse 17 again. It's a sword of the Spirit. It's for, it's for the dart or the arrow of disbelief. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now remember, the first five weapons, they were for our defense against Satan. But folks, this weapon is for our defeat of Satan. The first five are defensive. This one is offensive. 
God does not want His children to always be on the defensive. He wants us to get on the offensive and take the fight to the devil. General Patton one time said, you fight a war by attacking from the front, not defending from the back. We're told we're take, to take the sword of the Spirit and go on the attack. Let me give you a little history here about weapons, if you didn't know this. The Roman short sword called a gladius was about 14 inches long. It was very sharp on the tip, double-edged. It was used to pierce, and it would also cut both ways. It was used for close-quarter combat. Well, folks, the Bible, the Word of God, is the sword of the Spirit. Now, I can't help but think of the verse, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, or living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I want you to think about this, Christian. We have a defense for every weapon that Satan has. But Satan has no defense for the weapon that God's given us. Do you realize, folks, we can defend ourselves against every attack that Satan throws at us because God's provided the armor that we need. But Satan cannot defend himself against the spirit of the Word of God. The sword of the Word of God. It's impossible. I can prove it. How did Jesus defeat the devil in the wilderness? Temptation? What did Jesus do? It is written. It is written. He just took the Word of God and run Satan through. Our problem is too many people keep the sword in the sheath. They never pull it out. Let me give you some statistics real quick. In America, professing Christians, depending on which statistic you look at, only 16 to 19% of professing Christians in the United States actually say they read their Bible every day. Folks, that's staggering. And let me state the obvious. You probably already grasped it. A sword has to be removed from its sheath. It's got to be taken out of the scabbard if it's going to do any good, if you're going to use it. And listen to me real close, Christian. You need sword practice every day. You need sword training for the battles every day. A closed Bible, friend, that's no better than no Bible at all. You know why many Christians are living defeated lives? Because they fail to put on the armor of God. They fail to understand it all begins with Jesus Christ. We stand in His power, not our own. God's provided the armor we need and the weapon that we need. But our weapons are rusted and locked up in the closet. Back almost 500 years ago, Martin Luther preached a sermon back in 1531. And this message, even though it's 500 years old, I believe it's applicable today. I want you to listen to an excerpt from this message. He said, Christendom must have people who can beat down their adversaries and opponents and tear off the devil's equipment and armor that he may be brought into disgrace. But for this work, powerful warriors are needed who are thoroughly familiar with the Scriptures and can contradict all false interpretations and take the sword from false teachers, that is, those very verses which false teachers use, and turn them round about upon them so they fall back in defeat. But as, but as not all Christians can be capable in defending the word and articles of the creed, they must have teachers and preachers who study the Scriptures and have daily fellowship with it so they can fight for all the others. Yet, each Christian should be so armed that he himself is sure of his belief and of the doctrine and is so equipped with the saints from the Word of God that he can stand up against the devil and defend himself when men seek to lead him astray. I'm going to close right here. I want you to listen to me. If you, Christian, 
will take the armor of God every day and from head to toe put it on. And if you will unsheath your sword and march in the battle wielding the sword of the Spirit, you can live in victory. You can live in victory each and every day. Now, if you're here, and again, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you have no hope of victory. You say, well, well, preacher, I disagree with you. I'm happy. I'm content. You're enjoying the, uh, the pleasures of sin for a season. Soon that's going to be over with. You see, ultimate victory is eternity in heaven. Without Jesus Christ, you're as close to heaven as you're ever going to get right here, right now. I'm going to encourage you. You don't know Jesus, you need to know him today. You need to begin to live in victory. Daily victory and eternal victory. You say, well, if I come to Jesus, I'm not going to have problems. You're not listening to me. What have I been telling you? You come to Jesus Christ, it's a fight. It's a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm not telling you come to Jesus because everything will come up roses. I'm telling you, you need to come to Jesus Christ because one day you're going to die. And the Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. Without Jesus Christ, you'll stand in judgment for your sins. But Jesus has already taken that judgment. He said, I've already taken it for you. All you've got to do is believe in me. The work that I've done for you on the cross. I completed salvation. And it's available to you by grace. Just reach out and accept it. Father, I pray for those who need to make a decision this morning, whether it's to give their life to Christ, to establish that eternal, everlasting covenant with you, or whether it's to repent, to come and rededicate their life, or, or just to take a step closer to you, Father, and begin to get into the battle that's raging. Quit, quit living in the barracks and living on the sidelines and get involved in the fight. I pray for courage for those that need it this morning. I pray for guidance for those that are seeking. Father, I pray an extra measure of your grace given and your patience continue to be long-suffering with those who need to know you. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand, please?
If you're wanting to give your tithes and offerings today, buckets are there at the back door. We'll have a few of the deacons standing out there to take the offering. Uh, any other announcements I need to make? All right. Brother Dan Stone, would you pray and dismiss us, please?